Mark chapter 5. If you found that, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Mark chapter 5. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark since January. We've gotten to chapter 5. Business has picked up. We've come across the Sea of Galilee now to a Gentile region. Gentile region. It's where the Greeks lived. Mark chapter 5, and something bizarre happens. You follow along as we read. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God. Let's go there to verse 1. They came there to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he's crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, my name is Legion. We are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they, notice the change in the pronoun. They begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. The unclean spirits came out of The unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and the country. People came to see what it was that had happened. They came to see Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed in his right mind, they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting in the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. He did not permit him. He said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and and how he has had mercy on you. He went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Join me as we pray. Father in heaven, I pray you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that you would awaken hearts that are dead in sin, that they might become alive in Christ. I pray that you would strengthen moms and dads and children, strengthen our hearts, bring encouragement 
Lord, I pray that you would minister to the souls of your people that we might be prepared for the week ahead. That you might find us faithful and joyful in the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> A whole lot of the New Testament is written by one man named Paul. Paul took all of his missionary journeys and as he went, he planted churches and encouraged church planters. And oftentimes he would be away from cities and write to churches. It's where we get the little small letters, Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians. He wrote a small letter to the church at Ephesus called Ephesians. And as he closed out his letter to that struggling church, the apostle Paul wrote this. <clears throat> be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand up against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Those forces are in the earthly places as well. The passage before us is a bewildering passage. You get the context, they came across the Sea of Galilee after a stormy night at sea. The disciples are scared to death Jesus calms the storm. Now they're more scared of Jesus. After a stormy night at sea, and a vivid miracle displaying the power and the authority of Jesus and His power and authority over the natural world. Chapter 5 is their boat eases up to the shore to Gerasenes. This passage is about His power and authority over the supernatural world. This is Jesus invading enemy territory. Satan and the angels fell from heaven. When they fell, their domain has been earth ever since. They ran free. They possessed who they want. They did what they want. They had no constraints on them. This passage, one man is showing up that will change every bit of that. This passage tells us the story of Jesus coming in and showing absolute dominance over the powers of evil. This passage is here for a reason. This is here to encourage you. This is, this is here to strengthen you. This is here to remind you. This is here to remind you of the dangerous reality of evil. Let us never forget there is a genuine evil. I was asked one time, do I still believe that people are possessed or can be possessed by demons? I would say that if you were to go to these Worst lockdown prison, there you find serial killers and rapists and abusers. And anywhere you find 
the destruction of God's good image, Satan is close by. And wherever Jesus shows up, the devils must surrender. Brothers and sisters, I want you to take courage of this passage this morning. I want you to be strengthened. I want you to draw confidence. I want you to see the healing, saving, cleansing power of Jesus. So I've been thinking all week, how do I get at this story? How, what's the best way to get at it so that it makes sense for one thing and is then also useful to you? And so what I want to do is give you just a broad sense what it is about. So in a broad sense... I want you to see this morning that Jesus is a victorious and transforming Savior. So if you want to know what is this about, 1 through 20, it's about Jesus. He's victorious, but it's not just that he's victorious. He also transforms us. I'll tell you what let's do. Let's walk through the passage and um, along the way just briefly make some points of application as we go. Here's the first one, number one. I want you to see that Jesus is stronger than your worst demons. Jesus is stronger. Join me there in verse 1. They came, they came over the Sea of Galilee. They came to the other side. They came to a place called the Gerasenes. If you read Luke, it'll be called the Gadarenes. Think of it like this. Gadara would be a town. The Gerasen is a region or a county. It's the same area. If you look at him and think, well, why are they their discrepancies? It's like saying Charlotte or Mecklenburg County. It's the same place. Came to the Gerasenes. What's going on with the Gerasenes? The Gerasenes is where the Gentiles lived. It's a Greek-speaking area. You'll find it called the Decapolis later. It's Alexander the Great came through, established kind of a utopia with the ten Greek cities. He was gone. The Romans are there now. It retained the name of Decapolis. They spoke Greek. They were not Jewish. Get to verse 2, you find out that something happens when he lands on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Verse 2 tells us that when Jesus had stepped out of the boat immediately, Mark loves the word immediately, when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Why is he unclean? Well, he's unclean, one, he's a Gentile. He's unclean, two, he's in the tombs. He's unclean, three, he's possessed by demons. He's unclean, four, the fourth reason that he's unclean, he's obviously pretty close to some pigs. He's unclean. So Mark pauses there to... Before he tells us about this encounter, he'll pick it up in verse 6. But in verses 3 and 4 and 5, verses 3, 4 and 5, watch his description. His description of this possessed man and feel the, feel the wretched end game of sin. Verse 3, join me there. What do we know about this man? He lived, verse 3 says he lived among the tombs. He lived in the Graveyard. He was a necromancer. He would prefer to be around dead people than live people. We don't have these kind of tombs. It's hills and caves and rocks. You could go in and there would be a dead body. That's where he wanted to be. Lived among the tombs. And the text says in verse 3 that he had some sort of superhuman strength. Nobody could bind him anymore. Every time they put a chain on him, he would break it. They tried ropes like Samson. He broke the ropes, so they tried a chain. Breaks the chain. 
Verse 4 says that not only that, that they put chains on his ankles, on his wrist and on his ankles, the, they, the fetters, they would lock him up and, and those ankle chains, he'd break those off. Verse 4 says that there's not anybody that could, there's not anybody that could subdue him. Verse 4. Nobody had the strength. Do you feel Mark setting it up for Jesus walking on? Nobody had the strength to subdue him. It gets worse. <clears throat> Verse 5, night and day. He's a raving lunatic. Night and day among the tombs and in the mountains. You could hear him up there hollering and screaming and crying out. He has this weird fascination with pain. He's taking sharp stones. He's self-mutilation. He's cutting himself. And there's so much so wrong with his head that he finds some weird satisfaction in actually drawing blood. It is a terrible, gruesome scene. These demons in him want to destroy the, the image of God. This man is in terrible, a terrible condition. And verse 4, Mark says that nobody can help this guy. Don't know what to do with him. Mark's setting it up for us. He's showing us that, that Jesus, he's showing us what Jesus can do. He's showing us this man that comes with the gospel, the transforming power of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So the first verses, one through five, that's a setup to show us Jesus is greater than our worst demons. I'll give you a second thing you might notice. We'll see the encounter. It gets even weirder in verses six through 13. And I just entitled this point, Jesus is Lord. This passage turns weird in verse six. Join me there. <clears throat> Here comes the encounter. So in verse 2, we're introduced that Jesus is going to meet a man possessed by a demon. Verse 6, after we got the description of what this guy was like, verse 6 brings us back to the action. Verse 6 says, this is how it unfolded. He must have been off in the mountains when he saw Jesus, verse 6, from afar, way off. He, his eyesight matched his strength. He saw Jesus from afar. My thought was, demons will run from Jesus. That's not what happens here in verse 6. He saw Jesus from afar and he ran to Jesus. Verse 6 says, he ran to Jesus and fell. You see that? Fell down before him. You see that phrase King James would translate it, worship. It's the same word used in a positive way to talk about worshiping the Lord. Here comes this this man filled with demons and all he can do is fall at the feet of Jesus. Look, when you read that, do you think of the passage in Ephesians 2 that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue, even if you don't want to, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord? The demons fall there in front of him in this, this forced worship. Look at the fear of the demons. Look how scared they are in verse 7. <clears throat> so they're there on the ground in front of Jesus and they start crying out, verse 7, and this is what they say, why are you here? What do you have to do with us? What do you want with me? And notice they know his name, Jesus, but it's not a messianic title. They know he is the most high God. You understand that Jesus has now 
invaded their territory. They had not been messed with. They had free reign for thousands of years. They knew about this one that was coming, and now he is finally here. They know who he is. They know what he can do. The people are afraid of this man with demons. The demons are afraid of Jesus. People feared the man that had the demons. The demons fear Jesus. They know his power. Have you come to destroy? Luke tells us, they ask, don't throw us in the abyss. We know what you can do. Have you come, verse 7 says, do not, I adjure you, you know, I adjure you by God. You know, the demons have good theology. They know that Jesus is God. They know if you're going to make some sort of oath, they do it by God. Uh, by the way, just because you have good theology doesn't mean you know God. You can be very smart in the scriptures. The, even the demons, James says, believe and shudder. So, so they say to Jesus, I adjure you. Swear to me you won't do this. Swear by God that you won't torment us. We know you can. Well, they know his name, so the conversation begins, at least picks up speed in verse 9. Jesus wants to know their name. Verse 9, Jesus asked him, what is your name? And the man said, our name, Legion. Understand the day and time where we are. This is a Roman-occupied territory. How did it become occupied by Rome? It's through the legions. The legions came through. If you have a shield wall, the people can't stand up against it. The Roman legions knew how to fight. They conquered the known world. Everybody understood what a legion was. It was at least 6,000 Roman soldiers. So the devils pulled that nomenclature over to who they are, and they say to Jesus, Our name is Legion, for we are many. Think of Tiananmen Square and the tanks rolling through and that one lone man standing there in front of the tank. We are many. There is one Jesus on the seashore standing there in front of thousands. The conversation continues. <clears throat> Verses 10, 11, and 12, and 13, this brigade of demons standing in front of Jesus have a request of Jesus. They know he can destroy them. They know that he can torment them. They ask a question. Verse 10. And he begged him earnestly. The demons are begging now. They, they begged him earnestly, do not send us out of the country. Now there's a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. They begged him. That's what demons have to do to Jesus. They begged him saying, send us into the pigs. Let us enter the pigs. Now this turns a little bizarre here to me. I, verse 13, he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000. So get the picture there, 2,000, not 200. I mean, look, 20 pigs is going to be too many. 200, who does that? 2,000 pigs on a hillside. So the demons go into those 2,000 pigs, and those pigs lift up their head. They're now possessed by the demons, and those devil pigs run down the hill, and drown themselves in the Sea of Galilee. Now, what a scene. So you step back. At least I, this is what I've been doing this week. What? 
You step back from the passage, and what do you do with that? I'm standing on the hillside. I'm looking down to see Galilee. I guess we'll have a beach barbecue now. What are we going to do? There's a whole lot of meat floating down there. So my question is why? Why? Why did, like, why did they have to ask Jesus permission? He grants them permission. Why did he do that? Well, we know it's not a concession to the demons. It's not Jesus going, okay, well, you, all right, I'll let you do it. There's got to be a purpose there. And I started thinking, maybe there's several, maybe there's several reasons why Jesus allowed the legion of demons to come into those 2,000 pigs and run them down the hill. One thing I think it might be, it's hard to, it's hard to conceptualize thousands of demons The people there would have visually have seen 2,000 pigs. So when the demons came out of this man, there's now evidence. They have visual, they have tangible evidence that that this is real. Sometimes we doubt that evil is real. And Jesus, he just, this is real. It could be, it could be, it could be it. It could be that, uh, that, that Jesus wanted to display for the people there that are watching. They needed to see what are the designs of Satan. Where will he take you? And this is shown vividly. The, the designs of Satan into the pigs, ran them down the hill. Now they're swine floating in the Sea of Galilee. You have a visual, this is where sin takes me. Could be. I mean, there's this a lot of money in that pork. Look, you price bacon lately, it's a lot of money. Could be, it could be that all of that money running down the hill, all of that is a reminder of just how valuable that one possessed man is. To show us the value of men and women that are, that are made in the image of God. Could be. I think more along the lines that it's, a, it's an exercise of, of the sovereignty of Jesus. I think when Jesus does that as a display that I own not only the cattle on a thousand hills, but the pigs too. That he owns it all. It's good for us to be reminded now and then when we lose something, that's it's not, it's his. You know what else I think? I think that um, <clears throat> him doing this Reminds us of what is, what is sin's end game? Like, so where does this take me? It's a good thing, a good question to ask when you make decisions. If I do this, what, six or seven steps down the road, what's going to happen down there? Let me envision where this sort of sin ends. And this, here's a display. It ends in destruction. So, so how do you make application? I'll give you just two things to think through. One way to apply. This, this beautiful story is a reminder. There is nothing to fear if Jesus is near. Nothing. There is nothing to fear if Jesus, if you are a Christian, you have been inhabited by the Holy Spirit, your faith is in Jesus, the mediator. There is nothing to fear. That's one thing. Another thing uh, that would help you think, it's helped me anyway, is to just to be reminded that good and evil are not evenly matched. 
Or you might say it like this, that, that God, our triune God, and the powers of Satan are not, there's not a war going on where they're evenly matched and we're not sure how this war is going is to pan out. This visual is there are thousands of demons up against one Jesus. And all they can do is fall on the ground and beg. It's good for us to, it's good for us to remember they're not evenly matched. Okay, so we see in that passage that Jesus is Lord. Let's press into it a little further. Here's a third thing to consider. Number three, <clears throat> that is that Jesus always gets a response. Always. Jesus does something or he preaches, there is always a response. There will be a response today. You have a response to what you've heard this morning. Here in the text, verse 13, we find out that the demons, they respond, they are scared to death of Jesus. They, they would rather go into some pigs and drown them than to be close to Jesus. Verse 14, there's a response. When this happens, it creates quite a stir in verse 14. Join me there. The herdsmen... I mean, can you imagine being one of those herdsmen? The herdsmen fled. I guess they did. They fled and they went to the city and the country and they just start telling. They, you, you're not going to believe what happened. There's this response of, of creating a stir. It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Look, when you are changed by the Holy Spirit of God, you put your faith in Jesus, you're trusting in God as your Father. There's going to be, people are not going to understand that. How do, you, how do you make it in life? Not going to understand that. I think the most uh, encouraging thing is in verse 15. Let's go to the man who was possessed by the demon. And, and I'll just say that um, the response here is a radical change. This is what the gospel does. Radical change. Verse 15 is a description of how the gospel actually works. Let me show it to you. Verse 15. They came to see Jesus because they heard all that had happened. They came to see Jesus, and here's what they saw. It's funny how Mark describes this guy, gives me two titles, like I don't know who he is. He saw the demon-possessed man, and to be clear, that's the one who had the legion. Although Matthew said there are two of those, two, two demon-possessed men. They came and they saw the demon-possessed man, and notice what they see about him. <clears throat> just, break, just break all of that down, verse 15. He's just sitting there. He's free of the demons. He's now with Christ. There's peace in his life. The sin is gone. Christ is here. There's peace in his life. The text says that he's just, he's just sitting there. What else do we have in verse 15? <clears throat> he's sitting there and he's, he's clothed. If you go and read this story in Luke, Luke tells us that he had lost his mind. He is so insane that he's just taken all of his clothes off. And now, as a contrast, Mark says, this is what Christ has done. He's made it so that he, he's sitting there. He, his mind is at peace. He's fully clothed, verse 15. And, and he's in his right mind. He's not a raven lunatic anymore. He's sitting here calmly. And the people come and see that. And it unnerves the people. Do you see what the verse, verse 15 says? They were afraid. First, they're afraid of the man with demons. Now Jesus comes, casts the demons off. They're afraid. Remember when the, 
The boats come across the Sea of Galilee in chapter 4. Jesus with the disciples, they are afraid of the storm. Jesus gets up. He calms the storm. Now they are more afraid of Jesus. It's the same thing here. They look at this man who's been changed in there. Sometimes, sometimes your life, especially if you live the life of sin and you were changed, this radical change, it's going to unnerve people. There's some rejection here. Verse 17 tells us that the people, they're so afraid. Verse 17, they, they, want, they, they, don't, they want Jesus out of here. Look what the text says. They begin, they begin to beg. Isn't it interesting? The demons were begging Jesus. Now the people have seen a great miracle. They see this man whose life has changed. They don't understand it. They don't have a background. They're not Jewish. They don't have the Old Testament. They've never seen anything like that. They beg Jesus. To depart. Absolute rejection. Right here down the line you see everybody has a response to Jesus. Everybody. I mean it's, it's true. It's true today. Everybody has a response. So when you walk through the gospel, if we explain the gospel. And when I say gospel, this is what I mean. That God is our holy creator who created all of us in his image. You have dignity because you've been created in the image of God. The image of God in you and us all has been disfigured by sin. We are separated from God and under condemnation. That's the bad news. The good news of the gospel it starts here with Jesus. Jesus comes, lives perfectly as a human. Lives perfectly in a way that we are not able to do. Lives perfectly in our place, the cross the cross is where Jesus goes in our place. The gospel is Jesus dying in my place. Jesus dies on the cross to take away the wrath of God. So all of your sin is punished on the cross. Resurrection is the guarantee that God the Father has received that sacrifice. And it's offered up and the response, you putting your faith in that, that's what happens when you actually get saved, when you appropriate the gospel. There's always, Jesus always gets a response. Let me give you a fourth thing to consider. Fourth thing. It's a touching passage, verse 18, and I'll just kind of say it like this. Jesus is what we need. Jesus. That's what we need. Let me show you where I get that in verse 18. So the people want Jesus to go away. Jesus obliges. He'll, okay, I'm, I'm getting in the boat. I'm leaving. Verse 18 says, as he's getting in the boat, the man up in verse 15, the, the man who had the demons cast out, he's in his right mind. He's clothed. He's, he's begging. Everybody's begging Jesus today. Verse 18. As he was getting in the boat, the man who had, the, had been possessed with demons begged him, I want to be with you. I want to be near you. I want to be with you. I want to be in the boat with you. I want to be in fellowship with you. I want to know you. Please don't leave me here. I mean, isn't that the right desire? Is that your desire? The desire of your heart to be with Christ? I've divided it there, and I want to take it into the fifth point. The fifth point is that Jesus is the mission. Verse 18 and 19. Like, this is part I had to work through. I, don't, I didn't understand. Why wouldn't he let this guy go with him? Verse 18. 
As he's getting in the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. This is not what I expected. He did not permit him. But he said to him, go home to your friends. Go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Keep the two verses together, 18 and 19. His desire his desire is to be with Jesus, but the sovereign Jesus has another plan for his life. Now, this, this may speak to your heart. Sometimes you have a desire for one thing. Jesus has a sovereign, different plan for your life. He says, here's the mission. Verse 19, look what the mission is. Go back to the Gentiles. Go back to that hostile crowd. Go back to the Decapolis. It's broken down. Verse 19 where does he go? Look what it says. Go home. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine this man walking back into his mom and daddy's house? Been gone so long and so crazy. They just quit, just quit praying for him. Now he's here. Got his mind together. He's clothed. And he's come to tell his, his family and his friends are coming around the house and he's Hey, listen, let me just tell you how good God is. Let me tell you what, how, how God has provided for me. And he starts preaching a sermon about the goodness of God and the blessings of God and the, the provision of God. And, and then Jesus says in verse 19, but that's not all you preach about. Tell them how good God has been to you. Verse 19 at the end, tell them about the mercy. Mercy. You know, mercy is a humbling thing, isn't it? To, mercy is knowing what Knowing what we deserve, punishment. Knowing we deserve that and God taking it away. Mercy is the word that points us most to the cross of Jesus. So what we'll do today when we take the Lord's Supper, we'll celebrate the mercy of God. I'll give you one last thing that I'll be on my way. Point number six. Look that Look and see that Jesus, Jesus brings the results. So the man starts to preach, verse 19 and 20. Jesus brings the result. When he went away, Jesus is going to, back on the Sea of Galilee. The man is walking off the shore to the Decapolis. When he went away, he began to proclaim, to preach in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. Everybody marveled. They're listening to this guy. They knew he was possessed. They've heard all about him. Now he's preaching about somebody that can save them. They marveled at him. But you know, that's not the end of it. If you keep reading in the book of Mark, you get past chapter 6 and chapter 7. Jesus takes another journey to this place called the Decapolis in chapter 7. There in chapter 7, he heals a man who's deaf. And chapter 7 is where the people would start saying, He does all things well. Because the ground had been softened by this changed man preaching the gospel. You see, Jesus is a victorious, transforming Savior. He does all things well. This morning you can put your faith in Jesus. You can trust in Jesus. If you're a Christian, you have strength because of Jesus. He does all things well. Would you join me as we close together 
in a word of prayer and a time of commitment. We're going to sing another song, another few songs in worship. With your heads bowed this morning, why don't we go to the Lord in prayer as we do. I want to invite any of you that want to pray with the pastor. Come forward and pray and ask God to help you. When we sing, it's a great time to come forward. If you are here this morning and you, you heard the gospel like you have every Sunday or many times in your life, but this morning it resonated, you want to put your faith in Jesus or want to talk about that, our pastors will be down here uh, while we sing. If you're not comfortable with that, when church is over, our pastors will be in the lobby so that we can talk through what does it look like to actually put your faith in the victorious, transforming Savior. Father, thank you for this beautiful story of the goodness and redeeming power of Jesus. I pray that you would strengthen your people. Find us faithful. Pray that you would draw men and women to yourself today, that they might know and love you as the powerful, transforming Savior. Help us now as we sing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.